Good morning. This is Julie St. George with the Perfect Property Podcast. I'm here with John Mangum today, and he recently did a podcast with us over uh, the Opportunity Zones here in Atlanta. Today, we're here to talk about the 1031 Exchange. Hi, John. Good morning, Julie. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So for our listeners, John is a CPA, and he has been known as the quote-unquote 1031 guy for over 30 years now. That is a lot of experience in 1031 exchanges. We've seen a few. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about 1031 exchanges. This is for anyone who holds investment properties and what you can do with your investment property once you sell it to reinvest and potentially save money on taxes. John, what do we have to say about that? Julie, again, I'm glad to be here today. And one of the best things we're doing is telling people in advance to start thinking about a 1031 exchange. And the people we're talking to and with are investors. Let's let's talk about a few of them. They might own a rental house. They might own a number of rental houses. They might own some vacant land. They might own some residential lots. Uh, They might have some commercial property. They might also have a building that their company is in. I talk to business owners regularly, and they're selling their business, but the building that's being sold as part of that transaction is real estate. And so our audience would be anybody who owns real estate that is not their residence or, or a pure vacation personal use property, it's properties that they've invested in. And they may have inherited the property. They may have received it 10, 20 years ago. They may own it in in conjunction with siblings. We see transactions where we get two or three siblings, three or four siblings. They're selling the property that they inherited from mom and dad 20 years ago. Well, there's a big gain in those properties. So when we look at our audience, it's the investor and even people who don't think of themselves as an investor. Right. That's the, the mind switch that you have to do. So if you've got your parents' house that you've had for as a rental for the last couple of years while mom isn't living there anymore, you may not realize this, but you are an investor. You don't think of yourself as an investor because you're just shepherding mom's house into the future. Right. So the first question is, who, who is our audience? Well, our audience is somebody who's an investor. The inadvertent investors don't recognize that. So the other way we approach identifying who this would work for, who is selling a property with a profit, to talk about it in simple terms, a capital gain. And one of the things as as a real estate agent that you're good about doing, you ask your clients, you know, what have you been doing with this property? And they you learn it was mom's. Mm-hmm. Well, if this has been in the family for some years, you counsel them to go talk to their CPA. And when they come back and say, oh, my gosh, we've got this big gain or a big profit, that's the candidate for the next conversation, which is 1031 exchange. And then from there, they're going to say, what's that? And once we go there, we can get into our framework and what our explanation is of the what I like to call the four essential elements. So first of all, a 1031 exchange, it's part of the IRS tax code. But number one, it's about tax savings. Two simple words. You're going to save federal capital gains tax. And in the state of Georgia, you'll also save state tax. So 1031 is tax savings. Okay, tax savings. And what's the next thing? The next thing in the process is investment property. And that goes to your question of when does it apply? Anybody can invest in literally any kinds of real estate, whether it's a a residential property like a house or a condo whether it's commercial property like an office building, hotel, motel, strip center, or whether it's raw land. All of that is property that you can invest in. And when we talk about 1031 exchange and we say the two words investment property, we're referring to how the property is held or handled 
in the hands of the taxpayer that we're talking about, the investor. Uh It doesn't apply to the world of builders and developers or flippers because those are considered inventory, like stock and trade, like a car dealer has cars, a house dealer, it's called a builder, has houses. Uh But an investor is typically seen as somebody who has rental property, whether it's a rental house, whether it's a rental office building, whether it's commercial, all of that. And generally, the growth of that investment property happens over time. Now, you can add to your property. You can maintain it. You can make it better. You can put a new roof on. You can make an addition. So you can increase its value other ways. But generally, a property grows through the force of appreciation, Mm -hmm. the growth in value over time. We hope so. (laughs) Well, we hope so. And I know we just went through the recent downturn. That wasn't a lot of fun. But the investors who bought property during the downturn during the 2010, 11, 12 years especially, have experienced tremendous growth. And it's not because they added anything to the property. It's because the market value rose. And so when we talk about investment property, we're going to save taxes on the sale of investment property if we follow certain rules. But when we talk about 1031 exchange, this section of the tax code and four essential elements, to help build the framework then we can hang some strategies on and some ideas and some what-ifs. So it's investment property, tax savings. Okay. There are two others because you said there are four essential elements. What's the next one? So the next essential element is time period. There's a specific time period that the IRS regulations require that you meet if you're going to have a successful 1031 exchange. Let's take a scenario. Let's build a small case. During the downturn, you bought a rental house for Mm $100,000, and we knew lots of those kinds of things were going on out there. Today, that thing's worth $250,000. Now, you may have given it a paint job and a new roof and some things, but it's seen tremendous growth. So today, you've got a gain on the sale of the rental house. If you sell that property, let's say it sells today, from the day of closing, here's where your time period comes in, from when you transfer ownership. You've got 45 days to identify new property or properties, and there are a couple of rules there. And you've got a total of 180 days to acquire, that is to close on the replacement property. Our industry did a study some years back that said the average 1031 exchange will start and complete in 62 days. And generally, that's because the 45-day, that's that's a rigid test. Mm -hmm. From closing, you have 45 days to pick out what you're going to buy. So a question I get frequently from investors and real estate agents, well, if I only have 45 days, that seems like a short or a tight time period. It does. And if there's one practical piece of advice that I give everybody in dealing with these time periods, start shopping. Mm -hmm. Shop early, shop often, and start shopping before today, before today's closing. Mm -hmm. Julie, if you listed somebody's property that they bought for 100 and they're selling for 250, You might have listed that property two months ago. There's marketing time, then there's a buyer, there's negotiation, there's a contract, and then there's due diligence and Uh and closing. And so the appropriate time for your client to start shopping is almost the same day that they list a property with you. Right. So when you give a listing presentation and you say, I can get 250 for your property, or we think the market will support that, by the way, have you considered a 1031? 
Yep. And I ask my clients all of the time about 1031. And I said, well, I'm not a CPA. I'm a real estate agent, but I have done set 1031s exchanges with my clients, but I'm going to refer you to your tax consultant because they're going to know the rules. So I'll just be your client for a second. Julie, I like the idea of selling my house for 250 Well, let's sell it for 275 Sell it for 275 You haven't looked at the comps. Let's look at the comps. Let me get you the best net dollar amount. Well, and there'll be some negotiation, and maybe the buyer will insist on a repair, which we'll agree to do. All that's fine. But then you say to me, John, you ought to think about a 1031. And I'm going to say, what's that? Uh And you're going to say... Well, we have tax. It's at four essential elements of a 1031. We have tax savings. We have an investment property. We've got like kind, time frame, and... Equal or greater value. That's right. So I know we're kind of flipping our roles, but the idea is you're not giving tax or legal advice if you just tell me that a 1031 is about saving taxes yep. on my investment property done in a time period, 45 and 180. Mm-hmm. And the result there is it forces the investor, the taxpayer, to be focused, mm-hmm. to go out and find properties that will or to dismiss the properties that won't work for their potential exchange. Before we look at equal or greater value, and we'll go there in just a second, let's take a look at how big the potential problem is if you're going to consider a 1031 exchange. Because as my agent, when you said 1031, and you told me tax savings, investment property, time period, and then I called my CPA. Mm-hmm. You know what, I mean, what my CPA said? The analysis on the sale of a $250,000 house. Let's use that as our net selling number. Sure. The profit of 150. Well, that gets taxed at 20% federal and 6% state. So all of a sudden, that's approaching $40,000 in capital gains tax. $40,000 is a whopping big number. Now I'm really focused on finding suitable replacement property. Right. But it's not just if you sell your personal home. This has to be an investment property, something that had been rented. What are the rules for having a quote-unquote investment property? Julie, the IRS has been battling court cases since the 1950s in trying to refine the definition of what is a property held for investment. There's not a base set of rules, but there are a number of tests. And is this something you've held for a period of years, or is this something you held and flipped out of in a period of months? They will look to the pattern of behavior of the taxpayer. In other words, are you in the business of building houses and you just moved one of them from your construction inventory to rental inventory? In which case, they may say, that's not really an investment. Mm -hmm. That rental house was a parking place, Mr. Builder, till you could sell it. So longer is better. If we have a a rental house and it's been rented for a year or more, a couple or a few years, that starts to completely comply with the rental kind of definition, the held for investment requirement. Also, do you have multiple properties? Do you have two or three of these things that are in a rental pool run by a management company or yourself, either one, all of that sets the pattern that you're an investor. Now, you can have a onesie. You can have a vacation condo Mm -hmm. that you put in the VRBO program or you put it in the vacation rental program, and you go use it a couple of weeks a year. But that thing grew in value because you bought it in 2012. Can you do a 1031 on that one? And the answer, of course, is yes. Great. So if you have a gain on a property— your base questions in the beginning, when does it apply? When you're selling a property other than your primary residence, other than a purely personal use property. Here's one that trips people up occasionally. A vacation home in and of itself, if it's purely personal use, 
If it's only a property that you and your family go to, the vacation home won't qualify for a 1031 exchange. Unless you have it rented for a period of months, right? Unless you have it rented. Okay. So if it's purely personal use, that activity overrides the notion that you, you want to call it an investment because you bought a vacation condo for 250 a few years ago. Today it's worth 500 Again, the market's risen. Mm-hmm. Just because you made money doesn't mean that you can demonstrate held for investment for the IRS. So you have to look a little bit carefully. Another thing I tell folks is, what have you been doing in your tax return? Do you report this property on your Schedule E as an investment? Do you show rental income? Do you take depreciation deductions? Do you take expense deductions? And if the answer to that is no, then you might choose to do an exchange anyway. But if you get audited, the likelihood of the IRS challenging it and potentially overturning it is pretty high. Hmm. So follow the rules. Follow the rules. <laughs> and when we're talking about, a minute ago, we, we did a quick back-of-the-napkin calculation, potentially 40000 in capital gains tax. That's federal. And then there's another close to 10000 on state at the state level. So for a $50,000 tax bill, if you do it wrong, if you go wrong on this and you get audited— and they overturn it, not only will they go back and assess you that 50000 combined federal and state, they'll charge penalties mm-hmm. and interest. There's a famous court case out there where the taxpayer wound up paying over double the base amount. Oh, so, gosh. <laughs> so in the example of 50, if you do it wrong, especially if you knowingly do it wrong, you could wind up paying more than 100000 in taxes. Well, they didn't use you as a CPA then. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> We try to help people understand what the rules are, and even in the simple framework, when we say investment property, and we give some examples, time period, tax savings. Finally, let's go to equal, equal or greater value. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got our framework. The last one is equal or greater. The listing that you and I have been talking about, the house that we're going to put on the market for two seventy-five, maybe the net selling price is two fifty. To fully defer the taxes. To fully achieve the savings, I've got to acquire a replacement property for equal or greater value to that 250 So I always tell folks, go out in the market, shop for property, maybe a little under. Maybe you find a killer deal for 225 or 240 to anything over 300 500 You could go to a million. If it's an all-cash deal, can you buy a million of replacement property with 250 cash to put in it? Many people can. But if you look a little bit under... This is the one that people forget sometimes. Let's say you've sold for $250. You've got a tax liability hovering around $50,000. What if you go find a killer deal for $225? I'd say buy it, and you pay a little bit of tax on the differential. It doesn't invalidate the exchange. It's still a good exchange. You just pay a little tax on the $25 that doesn't get exchanged forward. Mm. So equal or greater is if you want to save all the taxes. If you go slightly under, it's not the end of the world. In fact, if it's a really killer deal, then I would suggest that's the way you ought to do it. So you're only paying taxes on the gap between what you sold for and what you bought for. Exactly. Okay, that's great news. That's in really a, great news. In our example, you sell for 250, you buy for 225, you pay tax on the 25. And if you got a really killer deal, 
hopefully you got some instant equity. Hopefully you bought it below market or whatever the situation is. Interesting. Okay. Now, we also know that we have to have a like-kind property. Let's talk about like-kind. And what exactly is like-kind? If you have a condo, must you also buy a condo? If you have a commercial, must you also buy a commercial? How can we flip between what I have now, which was a lake house, for example, that's been rented for a while, to buying a condo in Midtown? Does that work? Well, again, the short answer is yes. And the phrase like-kind is actually coded into the IRS regulations. You can find the phrase like-kind in the IRS tax code. So when we talk about investment property and we say like-kind, what has to happen is you unhook your thinking. What we know out in the world of real estate, we look at zoning classification, and it's zoned residential or it's zoned commercial. Or maybe we look even deeper and we say it's zoned for multifamily, multifamily yep. but it's re- but that's residential multi versus Um, commercial. In the world of the IRS, they don't look at zoning. They don't look at whether a human occupies it and sleeps there or whether a human occupies it with their stuff, but only has a light bulb, like a self-storage facility. Okay. A self-storage facility is a like property to a residential property. Interesting. As long as it's held for investment. Now, it's not a like to the one you live in. It's not a like to the one where you take homestead exemption. It's not alike to the one where you're registered to vote because that's your primary residence. That falls under a different batch of rules. So when we say like-kind, you can interchange like-kind and investment property because that's really what all of this talks about. Like-kind is is a technical term. It's in the regs. And so when you say, I want to sell my lake house, but I quit going to the lake years ago, and now I want to buy a condo in Midtown— and maybe you're going to rent that out on a, a short-term rental program. Mm-hmm. Everybody's A lot of people are doing that these days. Mm-hmm. So can I sell the lake house and acquire a condo in Midtown? The answer is yes, absolutely. Can I sell a piece of—here's the one that gets everybody. Can I sell a piece of raw land? Here the distinction is it's unimproved property. Can I buy improved property? And the answer is yes. Interesting. Is, is raw, unimproved, like-kind to— Improved property, something with a building on it, a house? And the answer is yes, because for purposes of the IRS distinction, it has nothing to do with what's on the property. It has to do with how it's being treated by the owner. And that is back to the held for investment phrase. Interesting. So really, we shouldn't use the words like kind. We should use investment property. Like kind is so much in our psyche. it's It's been out there forever. And, and it's, it trips people up. Yeah, it really does. So in your long-term investing career, let's talk about your potential clients and your current clients. There comes a time when they don't want rental houses anymore. They're, they're getting on in life. You know, they're reaching a, a retirement stage. And maybe they want to buy retirement property in a different location. Maybe they want to buy investment property in the town where their grandkids live. Can they sell their rental house in Atlanta and buy replacement property in Florida? And the answer is yes, it's federal tax law. And the like-kind designation allows you to say, my rental house in Atlanta is like a rental condo or cottage in Florida. And if they don't like Florida, it can be the cabin in the mountains. But the distinction is held for investment. And to be sure those properties demonstrate the held for investment requirement, they've got some Rules. I just keep referring to rules and rules. That's the IRS. But there's a vacation home ruling that came out in 2008. If you're going to buy something at the beach or in the mountains and you want to use it some of the time, 
The IRS actually says you can do that. And there's a, there's a two-year window if you're going to buy something that you're going to use. Two years, you've got to keep your use to a minimum. That's defined as two weeks. And you've got to rent it out some, at least two weeks. So it's not the end of the world, but it's a strategy that investors use for retirement planning. Interesting. And one of the other things you just touched on was Florida to Georgia. What people also don't understand is that it doesn't have to be in the same state. You can sell a property here in Georgia and buy a property anywhere in the U.S., and it still qualifies for the 1031 if you follow the other rules. Exactly right. I couldn't have said it better. And Julie, I've enjoyed working with clients. I haven't had clients in all 50 states, but it's the darndest thing. I get a call from someone in California, and they've talked to an agent in Georgia. And so I'm working on a 1031 transaction that starts in California and finishes in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So that's not uncommon. And for us, the other way is, is true. We help plenty of folks sell properties here in Atlanta, and then they move on. I know someone sold a house on Holly Street in Home Park, and they bought a beach house off the um, coast in, in Texas, right near Mexico. That was a great 1031 exchange we did. We sold a condo here in Smyrna, and they bought a condo in California. So it's it's interesting what people end up doing with the investment property money that they have and, and where they go from there. Because it's federal tax law, the 1031 exchange applies anywhere in this country. From state to state, a few of the states have some distinctions. Uh, in general, if you're coming out of Georgia, you can go into any other state. Most of the other states, if you're coming out of that state, you can go into Georgia or any other state. And all of these rules apply. The state, Many of the states, their tax laws follow the federal. In other words, you're going to get a state benefit. Now, there's some states with no income tax, like Florida, Tennessee, Texas, for example. And so doing exchanges in and out of those states, there's not a state component to analyze. But most states, you're going to get the benefit, not only federal and state. And so when my clients call, it doesn't matter where they are. The only ones that we don't do, and, and it's not that we couldn't, but international properties. Mm -hmm. An international property, again, IRS definition, international is not like kind to domestic. So you can do domestic for domestic. You actually could do international for international, but you've got exchange rates and you've got foreign banking laws. And, and that's just, we don't operate in that arena. We rarely see that. But you can't do, you can't sell your chateau in France that's been rented and buy investment property in Atlanta. You've got to keep it in the domestic United States. Good to know for all my friends who have chateaus in France. There you go. <laughs> well, excellent. Uh, so we let's go over the four essential elements again. Ready? So everyone out there, what do we have? We have tax savings, investment property and or like kind, time frame. And equal or greater. And equal or greater value. Julie, I, I like to joke when I'm doing a program with real estate agents, y'all get out a business card, jot these things down on the back four two-word phrases. And then when you go talk to your client about their investment property, hand them that card. Here's all you need to know. The reality is it's a lot more complex. But to get your head around it so you know what to do next, and I always like to say, go shopping. Take your clients shopping. That's where you excel. And so take your clients out in the market, help them find what they want to find. Start with the target in mind because you know that you can sell their relinquished property, the one they're going to get rid of. Mm -hmm. The job in these in environments today is finding the good deal replacement property. If they've got questions that go deeper than those four phrases, have them call us or send us an email. We'll be glad to respond. Excellent. John, if my investor 
wants to take advantage of 1031, what do we need to know? Because I know that there's one important thing that they need to understand. Well, Julie, it's critical that they set their 1031 exchange, uh, set it up before they go to the closing of the first property. This is based, the concept is based on a continuity of ownership interest. So you own a property, you go through this 1031 process, and then later you're going to own a different property. But to link these two transactions, there's a documentation package that goes into place. You use a third party called a qualified intermediary. That happens to be what we do. But you've got to get your QI, your intermediary, set up prior to the first closing. The only call that I can't help is when somebody calls me and says, I sold my property yesterday. I have my check. What do I do? And unfortunately, there the answer is you pay the taxes. So we can respond quickly. We can be in place the day before closing. We like to be in place a month before closing, and that way everybody knows what's happening. But you've got to get the package set up. You've got to help the the client and the closing attorney format the settlement statement. It's got to reflect that it's part of a 1031 exchange transaction. So if you close and you sell your property and then want to do a 1031, guess what? You've you've waited too long. You've waited too long. And it costs you nothing to call us. As you know, we'll be glad to do a, a phone consultation with no obligation. Uh, so if you've got any questions about it, give us a call. In fact, I've got clients who say, well, I'm going to start the exchange. I don't know if I'm going to find anything I really like. So the worst case scenario is you look and look and look for 45 days, the time period we discussed. And at the end of 45 days, if you fail to identify, if you deliberately fail to identify replacement property, you can effectively terminate your exchange and the funds that are held in escrow get released. They come back to you on the 46th day. So it's kind of a no harm, no foul if you start your, fin- start your exchange and don't go through the ID or finish it. There you go. John, if people want to know more information, how do they find you and um, to talk about 1031 exchanges and see if they qualify? Julie, they're welcome to call me here locally, 404-352-1031. They can shoot me an email, jmangum at starker.com. But you've got some of our information. And if you're in communication, we invite you to share that on an as-needed basis with your clients. Absolutely. We have a little pamphlet here, this tax-deferred exchanges from Starker Services, and I'm happy to send you either a digital copy or a paper copy. Just give me a call or shoot me a text or shoot me an email. You've got my contact information. Thanks, Julie. I appreciate being involved today. Thank you very much. We've learned lots about 1031s, and I hopefully this will be helpful to our investors out there. Have a great day, everybody. This has been the Perfect Property Podcast by Julie St. George. For more information, shoot me an email, julie, J-U-L-I, at theperfectproperty.com. Shoot me a text or give me a call, 404-668-8975. Or check us out on the web, theperfectproperty.com. I'm also on all the social media sites. Look me up on Instagram and Facebook. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest only. They are not the views and opinions of Keller Williams Realty International, Keller Williams Heart of Atlanta Group, or Keller Williams Realty in Town Atlanta. Equal housing opportunity.